Today is Sunday, November 13th, 2016, and this is episode 177 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hello, Jerry. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? I am good. I, I know that yesterday was B-Sides Atlanta. You were there. I missed it. I heard it was epic. It was awesome. Met a ton of great people. And I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody I met. Had had a good time. I'm so sorry I missed it, but I had fun piloty things to do that, you know, kind of were bucket list items that I really couldn't miss. So yeah. had to make a choice, and I chose not you. Sounds sounded like a good choice though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hear people at least asked if I you know where I was, which is that's, nice. That's true. I and I told them that you were in jail again. Yep. Mm, well, keeps the mystique alive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So um, let's see. There's a couple of one little bit of housekeeping. Um, I I've gotten a lot of questions about this, uh, especially for the past week. Um, I I've started and actually I think I'm almost done, including links to all the books I've talked about. Because oh uh, yeah, I know somebody somebody's a little cranky about that uh on our on our website and and uh and not only that but if you click on the link it actually uh there's an affiliate code so if you buy it through that link we we get some we get some payola oh hey look at that yeah that's right this was your this was your long play this whole time well it it was well see i came to the conclusion fake reading all these books and pimping them out so eventually we could you know put up an affiliate code Uh, you gotta have the exit plan right Wow, I mean, so, that 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 evil island lair is not gonna buy itself for me. It's true, that is very true. So, um, so yeah, uh, just a reminder, by the way, that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Employers, indeed. Yeah, because so. not all tech companies have been consolidated yet. No, but we're working on it. So um so speaking of opinions, how about that election, huh? Can you imagine? I mean, I can't believe that there was even a a, a question that Emacs would, you know, like Vim is just it, right? Why why would anybody in this day and age think that Emacs would win? I just I don't understand. When we look back on this time, this will be the beginning of the second US Civil War. And uh, the the violence in the shells just has to stop, Jerry. And and you your divisiveness over command line editing is not helping anyone. Look, I'm just trying to make Unix great again. I think we need to come together and get a unified kernel, and just avoid, you know, if we just had a centrally dictated editor that the government maintained for all of us, we wouldn't have these fights. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty deep. And I honestly think that, you know, you you are causing kernel panics with your attitude, mister. <laughs> All right. Enough uh enough enough wow. fluff. Yeah. That was painful. I mean Yep. So uh so yeah. 
Um, let's let's move on. Um, Please, our, can we? Our first story comes from Ars Technica, and the title is Kaspersky accuses Microsoft of anti-competitive bundling of antivirus software. Wait, wait, wait. Is it 1997 again? I, 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 feel, I feel like I've seen this movie before. <laughs> I, I don't know why. So, and, 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 where's Kaspersky based? Oh my gosh, you're right. Russia. That's right. Holy cow, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's why I'm here, actually. That's wow. going to help. You just blew my mind. Coincidence? I don't think so. There are no coincidences. Right. As as we were talking about before the show, all correlation is causality. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Just anyway. haven't, haven't gotten to, got there yet. Back so anyway, um, yeah, uh, Eugene Kaspersky uh, wrote a manifesto about uh, how horrible it is that Microsoft is is pushing Windows Defender as a uh, as an alternative to third party antivirus, and he points out that um, now this is specific to Windows Ten, right? Well, it was Windows 8, too. It, it, uh, with Windows 8 also, although Windows 10 makes it worse. Right. And I'll, and I'll get into that a little bit. So um, in the one of the challenges was that in the migration, the upgrade from Windows 8 to Windows 10, which was more or less, it wasn't mandatory, right? But you had to do it if you wanted to get the free upgrade. A lot of, a, a lot of software like an, antivirus engines hadn't, yet uh, been ported to windows 10 and so um uh, or, or the version that ran on windows 8 which wasn't compatible with windows 10 and had to be upgraded separately w- during the upgrade process windows would um, basically uninstall anything that wasn't compatible and Indeed. and and so a lot of antivirus products kind of got left in the in the dust and now you have windows defender and uh, and so Kaspersky's now, oh go ahead. To be fair, this has not only occurred to Windows uh, or to AV products, and there, if I recall, there was a pre-upgrade check that would tell you in advance of the various products that were not compatible with Windows 10 and would be uninstalled. Yeah, and I think Kaspersky may have forgot about that. Um, oh. Yeah, m- maybe. Hmm. But it, I guess what I'm saying is that Windows 10. And this is a challenge Microsoft has in general, is a lot of the baggage, security baggage, Windows has is, is trying to maintain backwards compatibility. So I kind of, as bad as it sounds, I kind of have sympathy for, for Microsoft on this one. If they need to move forward, sometimes things are going to change at a fundamental level in the operating system that you know older versions of software aren't going to work. And then it's, it's incumbent upon those third-party manufacturers to then, you know, migrate their software over to the new APIs or whatever libraries they need to call instead to work with Windows 10. Right. So why is this so different for Kaspersky now and, 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 and Defender? I, you know, I, 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 I think there's a, if you put yourself in, in Kaspersky's, try that again, Kaspersky's position, they're, they're seeing this as something akin to, um, you know, to, to Internet Explorer back in what was it Windows ninety five or whatever, whichever version that was, um, you know that yeah. In that, for those who don't recall, right, that the deal was that the browser makers, I think it was Netscape at the time, was basically saying that you know Microsoft was decimating the browser market by 
bundling a free free browser with the web with with their uh, web server their operating system and th there was also a separate one about uh, media app, uh, multimedia applications and um you know ultimately what did that do right it took it com if you look at the browser market today right they're all free there is no you know there basically there is is no commercial browsers and i think that kaspersky's kind of you know throwing the flag out saying this is the way microsoft is trying to drive antivirus too saying you know that that every everywhere you turn windows is trying to reactivate uh defender right so if your if your antivirus expires it reactivates defender and, and by the way it's kind of silly to think that it wouldn't right yeah, Microsoft has been taking a task so many times for weak security. You know, one of the reasons, at least so they say, that they moved to this current model of Windows 10 of, you know, incremental releases as opposed to monolithic releases is to be able to adapt to security threats and other and other changes. And, uh, for instance, like EMET is going away, and they say, well, it's built into Windows 10 now, supposedly. Uh, I don't know. I, this is a tough one for me. And, you know, if I think about it from a corporate environment, I doubt, I seriously doubt any sizable corporation is going to ditch their commercial antivirus and go Windows Defender. I mean, it's possible, It's, but I doubt it. So, I don't know. I mean, are they more concerned about the commercial space or, the, you know, the, the consumer space? Because I can see this having more of an impact on the consumer side, but I imagine they make their money off, off corporate installs, really. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know what what Kaspersky's um, you know, product mix is or cu customer mix is. That'd be interesting. I know that, for instance, I think uh, I think Symantec is very is very common or very popular in the enterprise space. So I, yeah. I really I I don't know what the what their the Kaspersky mix is. If they're more he heavily slanted towards consumers or enterprises, don't don't really know. Maybe by the way, maybe that's different based on countries, right? They may that be, could be. They may be very big in Russia. I I, I just don't know. Um, so the virus gets you in Russia. That's, that's... <laughs> yes, the joke had to be said. It, that's my job. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the thing that I really wanted to talk about with this particular story, and I and I'm seeing this become a big concern, is within Windows 10. So we talked a little bit about you know how. Um, the move from Windows 8 to Windows 10 broke a lot of things, but it's happening within Windows 10 itself, right? So with the anniversary update and then some of the some of the previous updates, one of the things that Kaspersky is calling out is he's he's trying to get regulators to force Microsoft to offer um, these you know, preview code basically of um, of soon to be released updates to the third party vendors so they can make sure their their code works and you know you can kind of see both ways right you can see both sides of the of the fence because on the one hand Microsoft wants to get you know they're, they're trying to simplify their update process and so they're trying and, to get and and speed it up and speed it up and they're trying to get that stuff out the door faster um, but on the on the other hand when you do that, the you know, as Kaspersky points out here, you know that companies like Kaspersky literally have days to make their you know their their antivirus work with um, you know, with the new update to Windows, which they often can't do. And uh, and and so this is the point that I wanted to to bring up because I'm seeing this in Spades, 
it's a it's becoming a real big problem and it's not just with um with windows it's we're seeing it similar problems on mac you know it, it, us in the information security business we have a lot of agents right we have our dlp agents and our antivirus agents and our you know our edr agents and this agent and that agent and my observation is that a lot of these things are are becoming um kind of pinned to a particular version and they don't work at you know post not major version update but you know even minor kind of minor um minor updates and and that's a big problem because now we're in a position in you know in the security world where it's not just like preparing to go from you know Windows XP to Windows 7 and making sure all your stuff works like every every time some major windows update comes out you got to figure out you know do i do i withhold that because my dlp agent breaks or um do i you know do i push it you know push it forward because it also contains some really critical functionality and i'm just going to have to live without dlp for a while and uh, this is a this is becoming a big problem it is in in enterprise environments though, i would say that they're relatively uh, cautious about rolling out OS upgrades, you know, and they're they're cautious about pushing stuff out there because they want to test. But we're we're running out of that option. We we can't easily delay these sorts of patches anymore, especially when we're talking about things like the latest anniversary update. I mean, most enterprises don't even think on Windows 10 yet, but they're, they're going to be soon. When you look at something like the anniversary update they come out, that's almost a service pack level, or it is a service pack level push or bigger. And normally that's something that would be tested extensively in an enterprise before rolling out. But the way the patch situation is starting to flow, I don't know that they're going to have too many options if they want to stay current with patches uh, the way things are going. I guess it remains to see how, how Windows 10 flows, but I don't think they're, they're going to keep issuing patches for you know pre-anniversary update, for instance, forever. No, that that's for sure. And I guess <clears throat> where, where, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is it can take 30 to 60 days for some of these third-party vendors to really support for a new, you know, like anniversary yeah. update. And that's a big problem. Um, that's, that's a real big problem in, in the enterprise space. So I, I, I agree that Windows 10 doesn't have a, a large penetration in enterprises yet, but Microsoft is, I mean, they are, they are putting a gun to businesses' heads. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you know, it's coming. Yeah, you're this not going to have much of a choice. Right. The, the train has it, left the station. Yes. It'll be interesting to watch. I, I think you bring up an interesting point. I don't I don't necessarily think Microsoft's being malicious here. I think they're probably just being short-sighted. I, I, I do want to give a, one quote here, in, in kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but in, in Kaspersky's eyes, Microsoft is building a totally totalitarian police state platform in which there's no place for independent developers or freedom of choice for users, end quote. Well, yeah. you know, they're from Russia. They would know. And, they, and then they go, the, the, the author here goes on to point out that they're, Kaspersky's effectively, other than, you know, trying to get the, the regulators to force Microsoft to provide uh, more, more lead time to third parties, the, the the other angle of of making Microsoft not release Defender kind of smacks of Windows N, and they point out that you know Microsoft paid a huge fine uh, 
and uh, and and then they had to release Windows N, which had no you know no browser in it. Um, actually, it was no no media player. Sorry. And right. That was just that was just for Europe, wasn't it? It was just for Europe, but nobody used yeah. it. Right. So they had to <laughs> they had to to respin a you know a whole new version, and uh, and and really nobody wanted it. So. Uh, which, which I, I suspect will be the case here too. So it, it, you know, I, again, I, Kaspersky and Microsoft and Semantic and others are going to have to work this out. My concern is, is the the challenges I'm seeing from an enterprise side with these tools. I don't have the answer yet. I'm interested if if if, um, if other people are seeing this too. You know, hit me up on Twitter or send us an email. Indeed. So, um, so moving on to our next story. This one comes from uh, Naked Security, and it's uh, the, the title here is Yahoo staff knew they were breached two years ago. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this, gosh, I don't know, a month or more ago. Yahoo back in 2014 had, um, I think it was 500 million records stolen. So one of the one of the largest breaches in history. And um, at at the time, it appeared like, um, you know, they they had just figured this out, right? And there's not a lot of detail on how it happened and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and coincidentally, by the way, there was another kind of apparently separate track where, you know, what was alleged to be the NSA or, or some U.S. government intelligence agen- agency mucking around with um, you know, with with their uh, their systems to allow access to customer content. I, I think we established earlier there are no coincidences. That, that's right. To be consistent. So so in uh, in Yahoo's uh, 10Q report, which is a, a, a quarterly filing that that uh, all public companies in the U.S. have to submit to the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, they they pointed out that the company had identified the state-sponsored actor uh, on the company's network in late 2014, and but they don't go into any more detail than that. Which the the implication behind that statement is that they did know there were people in Yahoo who in 2014 knew that this breach had happened. However, it didn't come out until this year. Right. And that's pretty big. That's pretty big news. It is. Um, and. <laughs> Go on, but I I I like the quote too that the the person familiar with the investigation has to say. Oh yes, yeah. That, that they say that they uh, originally did not have a quote unquote full picture of what happened because of the quote sophisticated nature of state sponsored attacks. This seems to be the current uh, PR get out of jail free card right now of you know calling everything a sophisticated state sponsored attack or an APT so how can i possibly have done anything it was state sponsored and sophisticated you couldn't even detect it you know and kevin mandia told me it was okay <laughs> so um there again there's not a not a ton of detail in here but there was one thing that i found really interesting um Yahoo, and this is a quote from the article, Yahoo said that forensic experts are also investigate, investigating evidence that points to an intruder believed to be the same state-sponsored actor it thinks is responsible for the 2014 breach, having created cookies that could have enabled them to bypass passwords in order to get to users' accounts for information. 
Now, that last part is the deal that um, uh, Alex Stamos apparently allegedly resigned his po- post as CISO over. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, you know, the, the article doesn't kind of hit this head on, right? But Right, because Alex was pushing for a wholesale reset of passwords, which would have fixed this persistent cookie issue in, in theory. Maybe. Maybe, possibly. Possibly, right. So but, if we're trying to connect these dots, we're saying that, you know, he wanted a wholesale password reset. Management pushed back and said no. Yeah. And it, rumor has it that's one of the reasons he left. Right. But but I think if, if this – that's true. And I think the other mm-hmm. implication behind this statement is if if this investigation does point out that – or does conclude that it was the same actor, that – you know, the actor that apparently planted those cookies was, in fact, the NSA. And that kind of is implying that the NSA was also the one who stole the 500 million records. Interesting. Does that also imply that certain executives at Yahoo were aware that it was the NSA? And Yes, actually, there was... They shut down their own people from fixing it? There was some other discussions about that, too, yes. I mean, we're clearly in the land of speculation here. Absolutely. So let's be clear on that. We don't know that to be true. Right. Now, what what's also interesting is is Verizon is you know looking to buy Yahoo. So, you know, last I heard, Verizon is asking for a discount or may even back out of the deal. Of course, again, that's speculation, but it could be interesting. Yeah, I think the headlines, and I I don't know if this came from Verizon themselves or what, but uh, the, the the headlines I had read at the I guess this was a couple of weeks ago now. But Verizon was pushing for a one billion dollar discount, which was something like twenty percent off of the of the purchase price of Yahoo. That's pretty well. Did, pretty did they have the coupon? Did, I mean, was that like a Groupon deal? I, or? I don't know. It's, it could be. Hmm. Could be. Yeah. I mean, if the coupon's valid, I think we. I think they should honor it. <laughs> but it the 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 thing that interests me a little bit is. A right where we are, we're finding a bunch of major breaches that have happened years ago, right? And and we don't always it's it's very difficult to kind of go back, rewind in time, and figure out you know what happened. But there's also there's also been this you know either overt or implicit uh, assertion. That you know these state-sponsored attacks are, you know, perpetrated by Iran and North Korea or Russia or China, right? And and this is the first one I've seen that is insinuating. It's not saying it directly, but it's insinuating that it was uh, it was the U.S. So, which is interesting. I, you know, you could see that again. We are so in speculation land. But uh, to me, the only reason they would probably have done that as if they were looking for specific activity through Yahoo that they felt was interesting from a national defense standpoint, not defending in a say, but I'm saying that, that, that seems to be the only reason I can think of that they would go after a U.S. company is if they wanted access to some sort of data that uh, a foreign potential hostile entity had on Yahoo. Yeah, and you know, to to be to be honest, right? The the NSA is going to do what the NSA is going to do. Um, I, I I'm not I'm not trying to you know to pull out the the aluminum foil and and craft hats here. My my yeah my my the reason I I bring it up is 
what is the lie? I, I just wonder what is the liability in the instance or in the event where a company detects an intrusion by, you know, the NSA. In the U.S., a U.S. company. Yeah, detecting that's a hell of a complicated question. <laughs> and you know, and uh, it so so you know in this case, you know, right, five hundred million records. If you know what. Where where and I'm obviously not a lawyer, right? But I'm I just wonder where would this go? Would it would would attorneys general still sue Yahoo? I don't know. You know, if you really play this out, let's say it was the NSA that that took the records. Could private board level discussions say, look, we're not worried about it because it's the government who has it. It's not a foreign power, or a or a hacker or something. Does that, you know, allow for backroom conversations that say, look, look, this is not that big a deal. We've got to play this out in the in the public as such, but we know what happened. We know who did it. And and it was our own government. So relax. And and by the way, if, they may not even be allowed to talk about it, right? So if, if they if yeah. they come if they realize it and they, they call up their buddy and and you know, then they end up getting a national security letter, they may not even be allowed to to, you know, to, to disclose that they had that discussion. So it's yeah. a really interesting uh, and, and complicated knot. Um, but, you know, so so our next story, by the way, is one that probably was not from the NSA. <laughs> Why? They like to have friends, too. Yeah. So this, this story here is from CSO Online, and the title is 412 Million Friend Finder Accounts Exposed by Hackers. So, so Jerry, for those who don't know, can, can you tell us about Friend Finder? Well, it... Um, as far as I can tell, it's very much like Ashley Madison, but but maybe there's actually people, like both real males and females, I think. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's a hookup site basically, right? It's mm, a yeah online. Is, has it worked out well for you? Um, no, I, oh. I, I I don't use it. So well, keep trying, keep trying. I'm sure somebody eventually will answer your ad. I'm sure. 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 So 412 million accounts. 412 million. And uh, what was interesting here is that the um, this apparently the, the breach was apparently the result of a vulnerability somebody found and reported to Adult Friend Finder. Um, and shortly after, it, things kind of unraveled. Um, and it's not entirely clear if the person who disclosed the vulnerability... Uh, was the one who stole it, sold the data, uh, but you know, was what was interesting was that the the discloser, a, a person named uh, Revolver, or that was his or her handle, uh, said that you know he he uh, confirmed that the the vulnerability had been fixed and that um, he hadn't taken any data from the customer site. But then, subsequent to that, um, I guess some data started showing up. Uh, on on some online forums and um, yeah, so this uh, this data has uh, you know th the normal stuff, right? Email addresses, uh, passwords, m many of which apparently were not well stored, right? So they're SHA one. Uh, some of them were were salted. Some of them were stored as plain text. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, there's really no clear indication of why they did point out that uh, and this is interesting apparently um adult friend finder uh changed the password case all to lowercase before they stored it so 
<laughs> that's excellent that's helpful that's really thank, thank you thank you doll friend finder thank you and uh, apparently they also kind of like ashley madison they they didn't actually delete accounts that want to be deleted so i mean there's it's not entirely clear but it appears to be the case that there are accounts that uh that look like they're flagged to be deleted and in, included in the in the dump so um this just keeps keeps happening and you know they uh they point out that in that by the way in that 412 million uh population there are 78,301 accounts with a dot mil email address wow uh 5,650 with a dot gov address you know and and uh, we just we clearly do not teach our our uh our government officials very well. <laughs> well, you know, it, you can't assume that all that is just, you know, being thoughtless. It could be intentional for some nefarious purpose that we just don't understand yet. Yeah, it could be. I mean, uh, it would be interesting to... Uh, could be some psyops going on. It could right. be all sorts of stuff. Honeypots, right? See, mm -hmm. see if uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> one of them one of them gets a, uh, you know, a, a blackmail threat i mean that's one of that's one of the concerns here right is mm -hmm. you uh you know you're we saw this with ashley madison right people people started to get um get blackmail letters and i think it's they're true. actually still getting blackmail letters but i think you can counter that with it's okay honey there were no actual women on the site they were all bots <laughs> that's true that's and true i knew that it was an experiment hence we now have westworld <laughs> okay uh, you don't have HBO. People I, I who do would find that joke hilarious. You, culturally. Anyway, the other thing that I thought really interesting was, according to Friend Find Networks, right? And they they own that. There were some other sites. This is from Adult Friend Finder, Cams.com, Penthouse.com, iCams.com, StripShow.com, Jerry'sMom.com. There's a lot of stuff here, but the Wait one that was really minute. interesting to me was no that was fine we're gonna keep going 700 million total users check this out spread across 49,000 websites <laughs> that's incredible 49,000 individual websites wow that is uh that's unreal uh, and and they have three web avenues to run the whole thing no what? i don't know that to be true no, no wonder they got hacked. <laughs> That's amazing to me that they've got that much, in, you know, specialized individual properties. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think one of the, um, one of the, the, the lessons I think here is if you have a big concentration of users, you, you know, you're, you're going to be, no matter how pedestrian you think your, your site is, you're, you're probably a target for someone and it's unclear you know this this could have been russia or china or you know somebody who wanted to to blackmail people or it could have been you know it could have been uh somebody who who was using sql map i mean it, it there's you know somebody just wanted to find a friend and wanted to do it a lot more efficiently well that's true it's, you know 400 million friends in fact I, well you know now they can run some reason you know, narrow it down really specific and it's targeted emails. Yeah, but uh, anyway, point point being, you know, if you're going to have that kind of concentration, you should probably invest a little more 
uh, effort in assessing running assessments against your site. I mean, this uh, this appears like a pretty a pretty basic local local file inclusion vulnerability. That would... look, they had forty nine thousand sites. They were getting there. They do one a month. It takes time. <laughs> they would they would have gotten there. Uh, they would have got it fixed sometime. Uh, the year twenty three hundred. <laughs> yeah, the the other thought that came to my mind is we have seen this over and over and over again where where we get these huge user uh, database dumps. And once again, how many more times can we say this is why we should be using password managers with unique passwords per site? Because just assume your password is going to get dumped. And if you're using the same password on every site, that's bad news bears. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's the least common denominator. You've, you've, you know, I don't know what to say if you're not using a password manager, but so few people actually are. I mean, it's still it's still a very common refrain. Uh, hell, I've been at companies where installing a password manager was not approved software. <laughs> Those are interesting conversations. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's not just for personal. I mean, how often are people reusing the same password on these personal sites as they're using in their corporate environment for for certain things, or or mixtures thereof? You know, they're they're forced to change it every ninety days, so they increment it by one on the end you know, to keep it rotating. But again, this get, this is how people are getting into environments is, is, is one of the main ways is, is password caption reuse. So it's, it's, it's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I suspect, uh, this will be, it's probably not, not the appropriate time to be buying stock in this company. That's what I'm, I'm. That's what I'm thinking. You know, we have friends who would argue very convincingly that breaches do not affect stock prices long term. No, but I suspect this this company is going to get a, a pretty big fine, and you know, after the fine, then yes, you can mm. you can invest away. Then well, maybe you buy it on the dip. Uh, well, whatever. by the way, this show is not constitute any financial advice. <laughs> that's right. Please, please, please seek the advice of a financial planner. Yeah, we do not have a fiduciary responsibility to any of you. Well, maybe, maybe that one person. Yeah. Everybody else, you're on your own. That's right. I mean, until we get that, until we have those uh, payments made. Well, let me put it this way: our advice is worth exactly what you're paying for it. True. That's a good point. So, uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was the the, the story or the shows for stories for tonight wow can't talk well it, it, it's because it's late on a sunday and we've had a busy week and yeah yeah Make things happen that's right we 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 wait until we're completely worn out to do this show to give our listeners the best version of ourselves <laughs> it's very true painfully <laughs> true <laughs> so anyway um by the way, just uh, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Um, our Slack channel is uh, is rocking, so uh, if you if you if you're not familiar with it, get in there. It's pretty cool. It's true. I have been woefully inadequate in hanging out in the Slack channel. I will I will try to do better. Although I, I will tell you, it's getting a little out of hand, right? Because I have I have Twitter, I have Slack, I've got a group that has in you know that has me tied into this thing called Discord, which is like Slack. And then you know, and then you have the text messaging, and it's it's just overwhelming. Like I don't even know when I have time to work anymore. So, this this could explain why your boss is a little unhappy with you. Could be, yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's, I mean, the nice thing about Slack is it's not about you and I. It's about listeners just talking to each other and learning from each other and sharing ideas. And if you're not familiar with Slack, and believe it or not, I wasn't until a couple of months ago because I'm lame and old. It's kind of like a grown-up IRC. It's persistent messaging in a group um, and, and good for groups. It was really built, I guess, for teams to chat and talk. But um, it's, it's a lot like IRC to me. It's just you don't lose the messages when you're not in the channel at that particular time. You can always scroll back and see what was going on and what was said and so it's cool, but I mean, I like the fact that folks are trading info and, and bouncing ideas off each other and finding help from other from other fans of the show and you know building a bit of a community there, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there's uh, there's people that are talking about studying for the OSCP exam and yeah, so it's um it's it seems like a pretty a pretty cool thing. So check it out. Um, you can find links to uh, to that and to all of the stories we talked about today on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. Uh, also, include a link to the uh, the book section so you can you can find that. Uh, and by the way, I'll just mention right that, that my new book is uh, how to measure anything in cybersecurity. So that's uh, that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, yeah. I see. And and any early early quick reviews. Well, I, I read the, um, the the predecessor book, which was how to measure anything in business, and um, it, it's good, right? It's uh, it's worthwhile, worth the read. Okay. So, um, and uh, yeah, you can follow the show on Twitter at Defensive Sec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at Malicious Link. And with that, we will talk again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, always, for listening. Oh, yeah, quick shout-out to our Patreon donors. You guys are awesome. Oh, yes, thank you very much. That's right. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.